Good morning, Red Village Church. Uh, my name is Trevor Barlow. Um, I am I'm privileged to be able to bring the word of God to us this morning, um, to be able to read it. Um, it is truly a privilege. Um, if you could, I will be going through Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, but if you could first go over to Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible. Um, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Uh, I'm going to be reading, I didn't know you guys were reading it um, through the book, but um, we're going to be reading a little bit of Revelation just to see the hope that we have um, before us because um, he will return, as, the, as we just sang, till he returns. Um, looking forward to that. So if you could just go to Revelation 20, 11. And I'll just pray, and then we'll get in the word. Father, we truly thank you, God, for, uh, Lord, for who you are. To be able to come before you through your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through his work and his alone. God, that you give us understanding of your scriptures. You did not leave us with anything. You fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we, we plead with you this morning. Lord, don't leave us as orphans as you haven't. Father, I pray that you would teach us. God, I pray that you would discipline us. You would rebuke us through your scriptures. God, that we would grow closer to who you are, to know more of you, to fall on our faces in worship before you, Christ, is, is what I pray. So, Lord, I pray um, for this morning, Lord, that you would be with us. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Um, Satan has just been cast into the lake of fire. Um, and so then we begin here in verse 11 of chapter 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is a scary scripture. Verse 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is where we rejoice, brothers and sisters. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Nobody can change that. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And this is um, the Lord. He has returned. This is, this is the promise that we are given. Hop over to chapter 22. I'll stop there and we'll go into chapter 22 now. Then the angel showed, in verse 1, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his, seven, and his servants will worship him. That's heaven. We worship him. We grow in who he is. We are with him. It is, it is eternally worshiping him, praising our God, for he is glorious. Verse 4 of chapter 22, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamps, or son, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Again, that statement, trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the, the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the, of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Listen to what this angel says. He falls down. He sees this angel. It's so amazing. He falls down in worship. Verse 9. This is the angel. But the angel, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. That is an amazing statement. Worship God. Don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you of God. I'm as a creation. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. 
for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price, without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Again, he says, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That is an awesome chapter. I mean, the hope we have that rests in this is to be with him forever. He is coming, and he promises that he will come. You can now go over to um, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And we kind of hop in this section that was split. There's just so much in here. Um, So verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that which we just read in Revelation. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we, wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. Here in chapter 12, or chapter 3, verse 12, the scripture declares, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Again, we're hopping in between a section. And so it, you're kind of, you can kind of see it's like, well, what is he talking about here? Well, in the previous section, Paul declared everything he has surrendered for the sake of knowing Christ. He has counted all advantages in this earthly pursuit to the top as worthless and instead only wants Christ. And we see this back in verse 7 of this chapter. Verse 7 declares, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Then at the end of verse 8 of the same chapter, into verse 9, it declares, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then in verse 11, Paul says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ was and is the firstborn from the dead. Because after Jesus Christ died, he rose from the grave on the third day to never die again. Think about that. He rose from the grave, defeating death, and he did so in a public display. And because Jesus defeated death, I now have a hope that only rests in him and his work. See, I will go to my death unless the Lord returns. I will go to my death, but I pray as I go to my death that I will do so looking to Christ and the hope I have in him, and I will be raised from the grave. It's the resurrection from the dead through the saving work of the only man to ever defeat death, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son. Look at verse 21. As I just read, it declares, The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We have a hope in Christ after this life. It is the resurrection from the dead. But back up in verse 12, after saying he does everything to attain the resurrection from the dead, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. In the church here in Philippi, we know there are some false teachers. We saw that at the beginning of this chapter. It's possible that those false teachers are teaching that they have attained the resurrection and perfection by following the law. So Paul might be preaching directly against that false teaching. It is also possible that by what Paul had just mentioned in the previous verses, that he doesn't want people to, to think that now that you are saved, you get to just sit on the couch. Paul doesn't want people to think that we have reached a complete righteousness and there is no need to grow. A third option that's out there could also be that Paul is saying he himself hasn't yet become complete in knowing Christ and becoming Christ-like. But I believe it's, it's a little bit of all of these. But whatever the reason for Paul saying this, 
what we see here in verse, verses 12 through 17 is growth. We know what he is saying. There needs to be growth in the Christian's walk through this life. We call it, the, we call it sanctification. But how growth comes is the part we don't like. And so some do decide to just sit on the couch, sit on the sidelines, and not grow. See, growth is hard because growth, it comes by trials. Growth comes by failures. Growth comes by stepping out and making yourself uncomfortable and vulnerable. But glory to God that he doesn't let us just sit around. See, he puts a fire in our bones. He gives us boldness to step out and mouths to speak by his power, not ours. So although Paul hasn't obtained it and is not yet perfect, verse 12 continues, but I press on. He says this also at the beginning of verse 14 as well. He says, I press on toward the goal. Verse 12 declares, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The term press on here it means to pursue, to seek after, or to run after. But it also has another meaning, which Paul uses up in verse 6 of this chapter. In verse 6 it says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. The word can also mean persecutor, and Paul pursued the church, and when you read about how he pursued the church, he did it so he could destroy it. And he did it in a great, with great diligence. See, Paul hated Jesus Christ and wanted to destroy everyone who professed him before he got saved. But look at the change that the Lord does in the true believer. Paul ran a race running after and pursuing to destroy Jesus Christ. But then, when the Lord revealed himself to Paul, the Lord sets Paul on a new race. See, Paul is born again. We see the prophecy of Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 come true, which says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Hear that last part? What he will do to us? It says that he will cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. That's what he does in the Christian. This is the saving work that the Lord does in the Christian. And we see this testimony in Paul as the Lord sets Paul on a new race. Paul runs after the heavenly kingdom and serving our Lord. Why? His reason for doing so is stated at the end of verse 12 of Philippians 3. He says here, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We press on and chase after the heavenly kingdom because of the saving work of Christ Jesus. We are seeking to be more like Christ, but we are not yet complete. Verse 13 says, it continues, But brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. But one thing I do. This, this is simple, not difficult. Just think if we would have only one thing we do, one mindset that rules our lives. How difficult do we make our lives by clustering them up with so many different things? 
And these cluster of things we occupy our lives with are taking all of our energy and time, so much so that the things of God are being put to the side. We aren't being stretched. We're living in comfort. We aren't growing in the gifts that the Lord has given us. We are sitting stagnant. We are bored, and so we start to fight amongst each other. Paul's going to get into that in the next chapter as well. But we forget the one thing mindset, and we start to get comfortable. And then we start going down the rabbit trails. We lose track of what's truly important. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. See, I, forget, I forgot the past. That's even with my past successes. See, I don't live in the past. My salvation is not focused on some past emotional experience I had, and that's what I depend on for my security of salvation. I'm not looking to, to past events or even our past failures, those ones that haunt us. I'm not looking to those. And there are definitely times that the enemy will bring those failures back to light or that past trauma, which there are great traumas in our life. But that's the past. And in Christ, I succeed. Amen. Paul isn't saying you completely forget the past. See, that's impossible. Even Paul himself didn't forget the past, as he mentioned his past up in verses 3 through 6 of this chapter. But do you know how Paul sees his past? See, that's not me anymore. I'm a different man in Christ. I'm not the man I was 20 years ago. I'm not the man I was 10 years ago. I'm not even the man I was last year or even yesterday. There is growth. We Christians are growing day to day more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is through the Lord opening our eyes to the sin in our lives and us going to him in deep repentance, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We are looking to the heavenly kingdom. We have set our hope on the eternal kingdom. See, our focus is on Christ. He is first, our chief desire. Paul says here in verse 13, straining forward. The Greek word meaning to stretch forward. Paul strains himself to what lies ahead with great exercise. Verse 14 says, I press on. This, as I mentioned earlier, is the same word used up in verse 12. We are called to press on, to run after, to chase after. Paul continues verse 14 by saying, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This verse is a very popular verse that has been expounded upon by many of many men. But look at the heart of Paul and for the Christian mindset. Paul now mentions that there is a goal. There is a finish line. In the race that we are in, I think of time. The race begins, and this is us beginning the race, and there is time, and we begin this race. Time is moving. We cannot stop it. Time will catch us. We are running a race. 
And how we run that race is very important. Brothers and sisters, don't forget that we are in a race. See, maybe the Philippian church forgot and Paul needs to remind them. They got comfortable always hanging out with other Christians. And we get ourselves in these bubbles. And then we are so afraid for those bubbles to get popped. We hang around each other so much that we forget what we have been taken from and what the Lord has given us. But it doesn't come with comfort. It comes with great cost. We are in a race, and in this race, we are completely focused on making it to the finish line, whatever the cost. We are straining ourselves to to become more Christ-like. We press on for the goal to be more like Christ. We press on to the walk in righteousness, doing everything we we do, asking the question, how will this glorify God? If we could ask that one question to everything we do, we would be more Christ-like. How will this glorify God? We don't walk in righteousness so that we can feel eternally secure. We walk in righteousness because that's the true desire of our hearts. We rebuke sin. We call wickedness, wickedness. Brothers and sisters, please run the race with great endurance, focusing on the goal for the prize. And what's the prize? It's what I have already read in Revelation, verse, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's also down here in, verse, in this chapter of chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 20 through 21. See, the prize is we get to be with him and he with us, and he will be our God. We get the new inheritance, the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Those of us who are mature think this way. What is he saying? Train your minds to think upon the heavenly things. Train your minds to strain forward Toward the goal. Train your minds and bodies to not get lazy and take the Lord's grace for granted. But press on, growing in the spiritual gift God has given you. When trials come, we give them to the Lord. When you succeed in serving and using the spiritual gift God has given you, and then people heap praise upon you, you give it to God. When you fail and fall, get back up and press on, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his promises. See, we aren't perfect yet. But brothers, that is no excuse for us not to seek perfection. But this only comes by looking upon the cross. And as I have learned, the more I grow in Christ, he has put some of my worst sins to death. But my small sins now seem worse than the ones that he put to death. But oh, how I pray that he does not give up on us and that he finishes the work that he has started in us. I depend upon that promise.
We don't want this world. Verses 16 and 17. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The words here, hold true, that are used in the ESV means to walk orderly, to live according to any rule or duty. So verse 16 could be translated, only let us walk or live according to what we have attained. So now Paul is calling on each of the saints, because this letter is written, you read it in the beginning of the letter, it is written to all of the saints. So now Paul is calling on each of the saints in the church to live their life according to the truth that the Lord has revealed to them and to continue to press on, to keep growing and run the race. Grow in the process of sanctification. This will happen in the Christian's life to the glory of God. But if you, will, if you still struggle with what this should look like. Verse 17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And I was going to go into the Second Corinthians, but due to time I didn't, where Paul says all the struggles that he went through, how he was hungry and how he was in danger of thieves. He, he was relentless. He gave up everything for Christ. What an example. But we don't look to him as the example. We're looking to Christ. Paul says, imitate me. He says this down in chapter 4, verse 9 as well. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Think about that word, practice. You practice to become better. Continuously practicing, 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 practicing. Practice these things. Practice righteousness. Brothers and sisters, live lives that are in order, not disorder. Walk in step with what the Lord has called us to do. We do not live lives of sin. We do not do what the world does. See, we live lives of self-control. It is a gift from the Spirit. We don't go out drinking like the world. Our speech is controlled. We don't cuss. We don't tear down others, especially in the church. We don't do righteous deeds to heap praise upon ourselves. The functions of our body are under control. We use them with the same question, how to glorify God in the situation. We use them to glorify our creator, the one true God who is coming back Amen. to get us. That is who we seek to glorify. Then Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, keep your eyes on, look towards, fix your eyes on those who are walking in righteousness, not glorifying them, or setting your hope on them, but striving to be more Christ-like, pushing one another towards the heavenly kingdom. 
But you know what the problem is? Instead of looking at the godly brothers and sisters in the church who truly walk in love and follow Christ, the church seems to be looking at the world. We turn our backs to the church and we look out and we see all the world is talking about and all the world is promoting and we say, let's bring that into the church. See, that way of thinking is upside down and inside out. I hear these politicians are all proclaiming to bring us peace. I hope you wise up and see that there is only one who can promise that, that he can give us peace and hold true to that promise. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. We hold true to the scriptures. We follow and imitate those who hold true to the scriptures. And we keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example we have in the scriptures. See, the world can try to tell us what's wrong and what's right till they are blue in the face. But we won't be fooled by propaganda. We will bring it to the scriptures. And if the world is saying something is right, but the scriptures say it is wrong, we trust in the scriptures. Be careful who you imitate and who you fix your eyes on. Please look in your Bibles at verses 18 and 19. It declares, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Remember what Revelation said is going to happen to this earth? This one's gone. Paul declares these verses with tears. The deep sorrow of watching those run around chasing after the things of this world, thinking they are gaining something. This is the same warning that was given up in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's not saying watch them and imitate them. He's saying get away from them. When you see them, get away from them. Kick them out. Keep watch, brothers, for they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are you letting speak into your life? And you need to truly, in yourself, meditate and discern this. Are they those who are enemies of the cross of Christ? I buy things at Ace. Um, an Ace, you get an Ace card. And now you don't even need a card. You can just give them a phone number. And uh, so I, I gave the lady. She said, do you have a card? I said, I gave her the phone number. And I use, my wife has a card. So I use my wife's phone number. And my wife has a, a woman's name. So um, when, when it comes up on the screen, you know, the lady that was there, she goes, Erica. And I go, that's the wife. You know, it's the wife. And she goes, well, I'm not judging. And I go, no, it's okay for you to judge. And she, she looks at me and she goes, what? I go, no, you can judge. Like, you have to use discernment. Discernment is judgment. You would be a fool to not judge. And she's like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, and and she started, then she started talking about the things that they're doing to our children. Whoever told us we're not supposed to judge? We're supposed to be using discernment, brothers and sisters. Judge between right and wrong. 
I went with this lady, I started talking to her, and I said, and this is how I start, I start at the foundation. I tell her, I said, look, she starts telling me all the things that the world is doing, the horrible things they're doing to the kids, this whole transgender thing that's coming out. I start with the foundation, I say, look, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate God. That's what I tell her, I said, they hate God. I go, then I go to the, the simplest, I can talk to the greatest of scientists, just in, Revelation, or just in Genesis 1. I go through the creation. An apple tree bears forth apples. An orange tree bears forth apple, or oranges. Dogs create dogs. Humans create humans. And a man and a woman need to come together in order to recreate. That's the simple process. That's what's in front of me. You can throw all the zeros after a number. Tell me millions and millions and millions of years. That's what's happening in front of me. It's common sense. You can try to, they, you can try to confuse. But that's the truth. And when she starts seeing it, she's like, you're right. I had another customer. She goes, has this always been around? Because she watches TV. She's an unbeliever. And she sees all these things about the transgender. And, and she says, has this always been around? I go, no, it has not always been around. That TV is propaganda. You watch anything on that TV, you're, it, is, it is straight propaganda. They are trying to, they are, they are telling lies. It does not matter who you listen to on that TV screen. They are trying to desensitize us so that we follow their agendas. They keep saying it and saying it, lie after lie, until you're so tired or it consumes your thoughts so much that you start to think that it is normal. And then they have you. See, Satan is the father of lies. But see that the scriptures declare here in verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their, their own belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They are all about building their kingdom here on this earth, not realizing that this earth is only temporal. Nobody defeats the grave but one. See, we lie to ourselves and say we have time. But that's a lie because none of us control time. Quit filling your belly with all that you desire that this world can give you. Start living a life that is disciplined according to the Lord's will and not the desires of your own heart. Amen. Start thinking from the perspective of others. Plead with those who don't know Christ. I'm not glorying in this verse that their end is destruction. Because once you get a proper understanding of what hell is, there is nobody you want to go there. It is not a good place. Plead with others who don't know Christ. Plead for peace with your brothers and sisters. We don't need to devour one another. We should be truly caring for each other, having dialogue. That's conversations, dialogue, verbal. There is a world of people on a destructive path heading to hell, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ lived before them and proclaimed to them. Why are we able to look at the sinner and forgive them? Do you know what Jesus said would be the testimony? 
of the church, how we treat one another. It's our greatest testimony of him. Why are we able to look at the sinner and forgive them? Why are we able to go to our brothers and sister, who we might disagree with, but still go to them in the flesh, in the flesh, and talk with them, and love them, and be at peace with all men to the best of our ability? Why, and this is a question, why are we able to do these things? Because we have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who although he was in heaven on the throne, he was truly content within himself and had need of nothing. He was willing to surrender it all, leave it all and come to this earth, live a perfect life in the flesh, under the law, he came and healed many and performed miracles, demonstrating that he is God. But for it, he was then betrayed by a friend with a kiss by Judas. He was handed over to the Romans to be flogged. His flesh literally ripped off his bones. He was denied by those whom he had cared for, and they nailed him to a wooden cross to hang naked and bloodied and dehydrated all by himself. And you know what he did? He did this all knowing it was going to happen, and he did it willingly. God the Father then looked upon God the Son and poured out his wrath that was deserved for us. Jesus the Christ hung on that cross as the perfect, spotless lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of those who would put their trust in him. He then gave up his spirit and died. He was buried, and sin was buried in the grave. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating death. He revealed himself to many as risen. And then he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, as is proclaimed in the scriptures. And if you have not surrendered your life to him and his work on that day, do so now. Look to Christ. Forget what lies behind and press on forward. Know that Christ didn't do all this to not forgive your sins. That's just a foolish lie of Satan. Christ loves you and cares for you. Even if all will deny you and write you off, he won't. Amen. I trust in that. Trust in the saving work of the one and only true Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And to you who have believed in his saving work, stop looking back and press on forward. Keep your eyes on the one who we wait for. If you have trusted in his saving work, please go to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It declares, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Keep your eyes focused on the eternal kingdom and looking to the return of our Savior. He has not forgotten us, brothers and sisters. Do not let their mocking words deter you. Love one another. Please do not devour one another. Be gracious with your words and do so 
looking to the example that Christ himself gave for us to demonstrate. So how we forgive the sinner? We do so because of what he did for us. Because what he left, none of us can even compare it to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you, Lord, for what you have done in your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the brothers and the sisters. Lord, I pray if there is anyone who does not know you, I pray your spirit works, convicts, and brings them to repentance. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would, God, reveal your truth. God, to us who do know you, God, light the fire in us. Don't let us get lazy. Don't let us fall in love with the shiny things of this world, Lord. They are so empty. God, I pray, do not leave us. God, draw us more and more to you. God, who you are, what you have done for us. And I pray these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.